just the voices and I've never been closer to heaven than I am right now Lord some of us may not feel like we're close to heaven but Lord remind us that we are that we're as close to you as we can ever be you are with us you are in us And you are here to comfort us, encourage us. You're to give us your strength. You're here to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that as we come into your word, that your word will come alive. And that all those who who are here today will know that heaven has come to earth. That the kingdom of God is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Because of what you did on the cross. what, What you suffered for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. You may be seated. How many love Jesus today? Are you ready for 75 verses in the Bible? All right, let's go there. Matthew chapter 26. Good to see everybody here. Going through the book of Matthew has been fun in 2019, and it is my goal to end it this year. So I've been looking over these passages, and some of them I could spend more time on if I wanted to, but I felt the Lord wanted me to close it out. So that means today we're going to read, I believe, the longest chapter of Matthew, 75 verses. There won't be a lot of preaching with the verses, but I think it will be good for you to hear the comments that I add. And if you put it all together for the amount of time you're here, it's going to be the same in the same amount of words. The only difference is not a lot of talking from me, more reading. Are you ready? Can I hear you say, I'm ready? Wonderful. Let's go. Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So if you've been following with us, now you know why they want to crucify Jesus. It's not because Jesus was preaching Nicianity or Joel Osteenanity. He was not preaching like K-Love. He was preaching the gospel in confrontation. He called them names, snakes and vipers. I know your mom told you not to call people names, but Jesus said it's all right as long as it's in the Bible. He called them snakes and vipers, children of the devil. He said their followers were twice as much children of the devil as they were. He confronted their religion and their practices. He also confronted the Romans and their practices. He called a pagan woman a dog because her nation was unclean. He rebuked his own disciples calling Peter Satan. He was a good, loving savior, preacher figure, yes, but he was also truthful. And it's facts over feelings, truth over fairy tales, amen? Now they want to kill him. If you've been reading the Bible, not just memory verses on memes off Facebook, but if you've been reading the Bible verse by verse, you understand why. Amen? Them boys upset, and they want to kill him. 
And they're not going to do it in front of everybody that's been following them because they're cowards. Two other things I want you to notice in this passage is that it's going to happen around the Passover. Any coincidence there that Jesus will be crucified during the time of the Passover, the Passover lamb being slaughtered? No, because John said at the very beginning, John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover was a Jewish festival started during the time of Israel being delivered from Egypt when they were in bondage with Moses. God had given them time and time again to repent. The Egyptians didn't want to do it, so he killed their firstborn. Somebody say, oh, snap. That's not Barney Jesus either. Firstborn children died that day because they didn't listen to the preachers. Then God said to his people, your children won't die if you sacrifice a lamb and you put the blood over your doorpost. The death angel will pass over you. Now we see Christ during the Passover season getting ready to die so that the wrath of God will pass over us. Remember, it's not the devil that's going to judge us and have wrath against us. It's God the Father. It's not the demons we have to be worried about. It's the angels inflicting the justice of God. We need to be spared from the wrath of God. Now when Jesus takes the wrath of God, spares us from the death angels, we then are also able to defeat the devil, that traitor from the Garden of Eden. But first and foremost, the cross is not for the devil. It's to appease a holy God in which man has sinned against. And that brings me to my last point. That's why Jesus is called the Son of Man. That's why he calls himself that more than any other title, because the Son of Man is the God-like figure of Daniel chapter 7, who comes like a man, but he's God in what he does. God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Not three gods, but three persons sharing the nature of God. So the Son comes in the flesh. Why? To take the punishment mankind deserves and to get back the blessings of God that we were created for. That's why he says the Son of Man will be handed over. This is why he came. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The Bible says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him and with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head, and as he, was rec- as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, we uh, can only guess what this is worth, but they say it was worth about a year's wages. Somewhere around twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. This woman is pouring it on Jesus, and the disciples are hating on her. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, "Why are you bothering this woman?" Who we found out in another gospel. Remember, surround sound. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They fill in pieces. In another gospel, it tells us this is Mary Magdalene who had demons cast out of her. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. And how many know that's just been fulfilled right now? 
We're talking about her while they were hating on her. What we see here is the opportunity was taken by this woman to give Jesus her best. Now some preachers want to talk about you being beautifully broken. Break your heart and pour it out before Jesus. This is not a K-Love song that you sing with a tear in your beard about being beautifully broken in life. The woman is not broken. The woman is healed. What she breaks is that which is valuable. So all these preachers saying come broken before Jesus, that's already happened when she had demons and got set free. Do you still have demons? Stop being broken. How about being healed? Let's sing about that next time. Amen? Let's stop singing about how we're so far away from God. We feel like sinners. We can't make it and we're just hanging on. That's not this woman's testimony. The woman is whole, not broken. What she is breaking is that which is valuable. Let me make it plain. Break your bank account for Jesus. Break your destinies and dreams for Jesus' destinies and dreams. Break your friendships that are ungodly or not to be had in your life for God's friendships. She had a choice. She could have oil or she could have the purpose of God, a burial scent. She decided to have a burial scent instead of having something to smell good when she went out on the town. So take what's valuable to you and give it to Jesus. Don't just give Jesus your used shoes. Don't just give Jesus your leftover time in the week. Well, I just got a little bit leftover, so I guess I'll pray and I have nothing else to do. No, you break open that which is valuable to you. And then if you're here today and you are broken, you can relate to her when she was demon-possessed. Please get free from your demons. Please get free from your torment. How? By coming to Jesus. He's faithful. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. He's a good God. Amen? It's just in the story, she ain't broke no more. She's not one of those folks. This is a honorable, sophisticated, sanctified woman that is literally just saying, I got to worship you. I got to give you my best. You are deserving of this. And we know from another gospel that one of the main voices of criticism is Judas because he would steal from the money bag that they would give to the poor. What we're now going to do is learn about Judas for really the first time as a betrayer. He's a betrayer. He's been prophesied before. Jesus knows it's coming. He's already told us that, the son of perdition as it's called. But now we're going to hear about him for the first time in his betrayal motives. Verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What we see is that Judas wanted Jesus to do things his way. They believed that the Messiah was going to be a ruling king, like David, conquer the enemy. That's why Peter will soon betray by pulling out the sword. Two main betrayers in this chapter. One betraying Jesus for his plan, his will, over God's will. And then another betraying Jesus out of fear, trying to do things out of his own idea as well. But more based on fear, this one based on his own plan. Judas wasn't saying, I hate Jesus, let's just hand him over, I want him to die. What he was doing was handing him over to be provoked so he would, you know, they would pick a fight with him and then he would show himself to be the Messiah. That's why he has regret after he sees Jesus getting punched and beaten and it's not going to turn into a fight. He's actually going to die. He regrets that and he hangs himself. 
He could have repented like Peter, but he didn't. So we'll see why Peter stayed and why he didn't was because Peter chose the humble way after his mistake. We may have betrayed Jesus in our own lives, but are we willing to repent and be humble? We can be changed. God even called, uh, Jesus even called Judas friend in the passage when we get there. So now you know what's going on. And by the way, it was prophetic that Jesus would be betrayed uh, uh, betrayed for uh Betrayed, not bow trade, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. There are so many prophecies here that Matthew's making sure we know because the Jewish people only saw the prophecies of the kingship. They didn't see the, the prophecies of betrayal. They didn't see the prophecies of suffering, even to the point where they would gamble for his clothes or the piercings, that's Psalm 22. They only saw the conquering, Daniel 7 type prophecy. So let's keep going. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, that's what goes into Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with, Passovers uh, with my disciples at your house. How many like it when somebody invites themselves to, the, to your house? Amen. I'm just going to try that today after service. Hey, uh, just let the Rodriguez's know I'll be coming over to your house to celebrate Thanksgiving weekend with you. I just love Jesus. She did it with a donkey too. Let him know I need that donkey. And, and people do it for Jesus. Jesus, here's the way I look at it. It could be either one of two things or a mixture of both. It could just be a miracle. Walk up to this random person, say something, and oh, it's going to happen. Or it could be Jesus knew these people. They knew the one he was talking about. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that for Jesus. Either way, there's something special there. The miracle is special in and of itself. But then also Jesus having the kind of reputation where he can just be like, hey, you know that guy we always talk to when we come into Jerusalem, that one on the corner there. Let them know I'm going to come to his house, and that person's honored. See, because some of you have neighbors, if you said, I'm coming to your house, they would say, uh, Satan, get behind me. Uh, you can't bring them kids over here. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus kind of was welcomed by people he had that people had respect for him. I like that. Okay, so then verse 20, when evening came, Jesus reclining at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So he's going to be specific now. They were very sad and began to say to one another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Say to him, one after another, rather, you don't mean me. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. And that doesn't mean they necessarily did it at the same time. That's just Jesus' way of saying, the one who eats with me, shares a plate with me, shares the hummus and the pedo with me, the one that shares life with me is the one that's going to do it. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. Now, do you notice that? Jesus is very clear here. It was written about him. See, they didn't see that. They didn't see, see you've got to remember Matthew's writing after he sees it all. But in the time, they're still missing it. That's why they all run away when he gets arrested. They get sad when he's buried. They go, Peter even goes back to fishing. But, but uh, Matthew, as he's writing the gospel, is putting that back in there. Like, remember, guys, he actually told us this. And it's actually written in the scriptures that he has to do this. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, this is where all sinners have something in common with Judas. Judas went to hell for betraying Christ. Literally, all sinners go to hell because they betrayed Christ spiritually. No one goes to hell without betrayal. 
Every sinner in hell is there because they betrayed their maker, their God, their savior. The Bible says that even creation reveals to us there's a God, that's the starting point, and then the Holy Spirit draws us to the Son of God, Jesus, either through dreams and visions with unreached people groups or through the preaching of the gospel as we're doing here today. But no one will be there in hell without the, uh, the judgment of being a betrayer. You sided with Satan, the betrayer. You thought you could do life your own way. You thought it was your will, not God's will. Does everybody get that? So all betrayers go to hell. All those in hell are betrayers like Judas. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Jesus said, you have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which we just did today. Isn't that amazing? Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. So this doesn't mean like Catholics that somehow the blood, uh, the water, and the, uh, excuse me, the grape juice and the bread turn into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. We don't become cannibals and vampires every time we take communion. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You're not eating someone's literal flesh and blood. He's pointing to it going, this is my body as an example. Just as Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. That didn't mean all of a sudden he had a staff in his hand and then little sheep like, like people like us turned into sheep and we went, bah, you know, I am the door. He didn't turn into a door with a knob. Do you guys understand how Jesus talks? I mean, when you start saying, here's his body, literally here's his body. That is gross in so many ways. And how does anything entering your body physically ever touch your spirit? Even Jesus himself said that all foods are clean now. As he was talking about, we could eat lechon and all these things that Jews couldn't. He said, because the spiritual principle is that which comes into your body goes out through your intestines. Jesus said that. And so he wouldn't try to give you something spiritual that then you would pull out, through, uh, come out through your intestines, okay? You're not going to, you guys get what I'm trying to say. You're not going to excrete the remains of Jesus's body and blood, okay? I mean, just, it just takes common sense to read the Bible. And some people look at the tradition more than the Bible. Go back to the Bible. You're literally eating a piece of bread, but it represents the body. You're literally drinking grape juice, and it goes through your body like all kinds of liquid does, but you're there to remember the blood of Jesus. In another gospel, he actually says, do this in remembrance of me. Surround sound. Remember, not contradictions. Gospels confirm Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he says, this is my blood, which was poured out for many. Then he goes on to say in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When is that? That's at the resurrection when he's with them for 40 days. It says he's eating and drinking with them. So according to the Bible, when did the kingdom of God come? At the resurrection. When did the Holy Spirit indwell us? A few days later at Pentecost. And so today, that's why we sing a song, I can't be any closer to God than I am right now because by God's grace, his spirit's in me. When my body dies, nothing changes in my spirit. I don't go through a spiritual car wash. I don't go through a spiritual car wash as my spirit's ascending to heaven. The spirit's already clean now. 
Your soul's already been saved now. The kingdom of God is in your body now because your spirit is there. But when your body dies, it turns to dust. You go directly into the presence of God. That's the only difference is that you will stand there literally in the presence of God where you've only had the presence of God in your spirit. You'll be in a place called heaven. But what makes heaven heaven? Streets of gold, thrones, or angels? No, what makes heaven is face-to-face communion with God. You can't do that now because you're in a body. You will do that then. But I promise you, there'll be no transformation of soul after you die. You either get your soul saved now or your soul goes to hell. That's it, my friends. And we read that in the first service. I don't have time now. In Hebrews 10, 14, that by the one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified or those who are holy. So once you are saved, you are saved. You belong to God. When your body dies, you go directly to him. And so these are spiritual things that are being taught to us with the body and blood. And then he says, the literal drink, I won't drink that again until after the resurrection, and then we have a party, man. We'll celebrate. And it's funny how he starts that party is he goes up and shows up. Uh, he, he shows up at Peter's job because Peter basically quit being apostle. He's fishing again, and then there comes Jesus and says, hey, man, let's eat and let's drink. Verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you all will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Does everybody hear that? Who's striking the flock, the devil or God? God. Zechariah 13, 7 says, God strikes the shepherd. God strikes the flock. Why does he do that? Because Jesus is our representative going to take our wrath. He is punishing Jesus, the body, the flesh man of Jesus, for what we deserve. That's why Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Three in the afternoon, it goes pitch black. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons and daughters of men might be forgiven. So Jesus is not playing make-believe as a man. He's really going to be separated from God his Father in the flesh. He's really going to feel the wrath of God. He's going to feel our punishment. God is going to strike him. The wrath of God will be against his body, and that's why he will be the lamb of God. So he says, uh, I'm going to get struck, and you're going to get scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He goes, I'm going to rise. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, Peter. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Let's keep going. We then get to where Jesus uh, goes to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus, uh, excuse me, to the Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Everybody say Gethsemane. Thank you. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So Jesus, everybody get this, is really going to pray. He's not going to go over there and be like, Father, we all know what's going on around here. I'm just going to pretend to pray because I'm cool with this. No, he didn't come down as Superman. Does everybody understand that? Jesus came as a man. That means when he used the bathroom, he did it as a man. When he got tired, it was as a man. When he said, I don't know stuff, he did it as a man. And when he's going over here to pray, he's praying as a man that is troubled. The Bible says if he didn't, Hebrews 4.15, then he couldn't be a high priest that relates to our troubles. 
If he went through it as Superman, then he could not identify with a normal man. But when Jesus goes to pray, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He doesn't just go, well, I know this is going to work out. It's going to be fun in the end. No, he's like, they're going to beat me. They're going to put stuff all over my body. It's going to hurt. I am going to die. I've never felt like I've died before. Now, remember when you die, you don't stop existing. Sometimes people are like, well, when the Son of God died, who was running heaven? Well, first of all, the Father and Spirit was still there. But when you die, you don't stop existing. What he's going to feel is a body dying as his soul goes out of the body. He's never felt a separation from his body. He never knew what it was like to have a body until the virgin birth. And now he's going to lose that body through a painful death. He is sorrowful. He is troubled. Then he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is the one and only time he asked his disciples to do something for him. Everything else is for the kingdom on behalf of God and all of these other wonderful things they're going to do, preaching and teaching, all of the things they're going to do for people. But now he's literally saying, pray with me, pray with me. And what happens? Let's find out what they did with that request. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus now does what Adam and Eve did. And Adam and Eve were the representative of mankind in the garden. He is now the new Adam. He is the second Adam according to perfection. He has restarted the human race. Adam was made perfect. Jesus was made perfect. But where is the difference? Adam said, Satan's will, my will over God's will. What does Jesus now say? Not my will, not man's will, but God's will. That's why he had to be a very true man. He had to feel what men would feel. What would a man feel like in that time? And he's saying, I am denying what a man would do at this time. And I'm acknowledging I will do what God does at this time. Now keep in memory that Judas, he's not doing God's will. He's doing his will. And then Peter will not do God's will. He will do his will. So what is the root of all betrayal? Though the circumstances may be different, it's your will over God's will. Everyone who goes to heaven will go there based on God's will. Everyone who goes to hell will go there based on their will. Do you submit to God's will and go to heaven or get your own way and go to hell? Well, I don't want to worship a God like this and that. Well, you'll worship him for a little bit, but then the rest of eternity, you're right, you won't have to. You'll be alone in hell. Well, I don't want to go to heaven if I can't be a lesbian, a gay, or up there. If their homosexuality is wrong, I don't want. Well, you won't be up there. You'll just be up there for judgment, and then you'll get kicked out, so you'll get your way in the end. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, there's, yep, the only thing you have to do is bow down, say Jesus is Lord, and then you get kicked out to hell. So you'll get what you want, an eternity without God. Jesus says, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them what? Sleeping. The one time he asked them to do something for him, they're sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour, he asked? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Highlight that, please. The first thing that we see here is that all of us should be able to pray with Jesus an hour. I encourage everybody to try to pray an hour a day. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Highlight that, please. The, the principle that Jesus taught us here is that your spirit, if you are a Christian, will know the right thing you ought to do in every situation. But the problem is your flesh will try to pull you away. 
So here's the deal. You pray to strengthen your resolve to follow the spirit and not the flesh. So there is never an excuse for us ever to sin. Even if they were to threaten you and say, we'll kill your children unless you deny Christ. Or we'll take your job unless you say transgenderism is a thing that's positive. Whatever. No, you stand not with your flesh. You stand with your spirit. And so you make your flesh your slave. Everybody raise your right hand with me, please, for this example. You put it down when you're ready. You put that right hand down whenever you want because your spirit controls that flesh. You decide when you're going to put that down. And if you wanted to hold it up all service, you could. So you decide what you eat over the holidays, right? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak when it sees pecan pie, when it sees some of these things, you know, more cranberry jam, please. You know, you, you, feel, you feel in your flesh, man, I'm still hungry. I should still be eating. But your spirit is saying, you have no idea how long you're going to have to work this off. This is going to take forever. This is going to take forever. We're going to be in the gym forever after this. And your spirit has to control your flesh. That's, that's the truth in dieting. That's the truth with your sexuality. That's the truth with your temperament, my temperament. All we do in life, it's going to come down to spirit of flesh because the devil can't make you do it. What the devil just does is get, gets things to look good to your flesh, but he can't make your spirit follow the flesh. He can't violate your will no more than God can violate your will. God can't make you, you know, pick you up this morning, put on your clothes, bring you to church, and the devil can't make you punch that person. All that God can do is draw you by the spirit from his spirit. All the devil can do is draw you by the flesh and make the flesh look good. But ultimately, it's your choice. So pray. Make time to pray for an hour. Make time to meditate on the word of God so that you can discern the difference and be strong. How many want to be strong in their spirit? Amen. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Look at your neighbor and see if their eyes are heavy. You guys are getting heavy today. Oh, my goodness. I ate so much this weekend. My eyes are so heavy. Come on, let's, let's pray. Let's hang out with Jesus. So he left them and went once more, prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you guys still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Powerful, powerful. Let's see how Jesus handles his betrayer. You son of a... You know, let's see how Jesus handles it. Let's see what Jesus calls his betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived with him with a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now remember, the whole entire world is divided up, Jew and Gentile. Here the Jews are now going to be responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And then what government? The Gentile Roman government is going to kill him. That means the whole world stands condemned and is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus as a culture group, as people groups, and then individuals, every one of our sins put him on that cross. We're all guilty. So here come the Jews to do their evil against him. So they come with the clubs, the swords, the chief priests, the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Because it must have been dark. They may not have been able to see who he was. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, you son of a... Is that what it says? Do what you came for, you dirty dog. 
What does he call him? Friend. Jesus even calls his betrayers friends. That means you still have a chance. Even if you have sinned against God and betrayed him. As a young teenager brought up in a Christian family, I ripped up a Bible in front of my parents because I hated God in church. And yet God forgave me because he doesn't turn his back on us as long as we're alive. The only thing about that, if you're waiting for a deathbed conversion, like I'm going to do it right before I die, you never know when you're going to die. So you ought to get right with God now if you're his betrayer. But be encouraged that he still wants you. He has not given up on you. It's Judas that hung himself, not Jesus. He'll do that later. Let's keep going. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Another gospel tells us that was Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now, everybody get this. This does not mean we are to be just passive in life and never fight or have just wars. As a matter of fact, later in the Bible, Paul says those who carry the swords in government and punish the bad and protect the good are actually servants of God. And earlier in the Old Testament, the Bible says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. What is Jesus specifically saying here? Peter, the kingdom's not going to come by sword because if it did, they could take it away by the sword. Whose kingdom about six, 700 years later came by sword? Muhammad and Muslims. They came by sword. This is a prophecy against their movement as well as their false prophet. Now, I know some of you woke and you want to talk about how well Christians did it too, pastor. Let's talk about that just for a second. When a Muslim takes up a sword in Syria and then says we are going to establish Islam by force, take sex slaves, and take over the land, are they like Muhammad or not like Muhammad? Well, let's do a quick comparison. They have a sword, weapons in hand. Did Muhammad have swords and weapons in hand? Check. They take slaves and they steal from the people as they conquer them. Did Muhammad take slaves, take women, and take the property as they conquered people? Check. Okay, did Muhammad force conversions say that if they do not say the Shahada claim him as a prophet that they would be subjugated and oppressed? Yes, do they do that? Yes, check. Okay, so they are just like Muhammad. Now I am thankful, everybody get this, I am so thankful that most Muslims in the West are backslidden, lazy, compromising Muslims. Thank God they're not like Muhammad. Because when they get like Muhammad, they drive planes, fly planes into buildings. So thank you guys, you Muslims, for not being good Muslims. Praise God for bad Muslims. Just, just be the worst Muslim possible and worship Jesus now and get converted. But in other countries, they want to be the best kind of Muslim. And by the way, that's what ISIS did. They recruited the other Muslims by saying, look at this surah in the Quran. Look at this passage from the Hadith, the traditions of Muhammad. Guys, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then they made promo videos of them blowing up civilians, beheading Christians, and then put their scriptures at the bottom. And they make memes of them beheading people and putting the scripture that you should behead apostates and people from other religions. It's actually in their book. Now let's give Jesus that same try with Bubba the slave master or the Roman Catholic conquistadors or the Spanish conquistadors. Okay, did the conquistadors conquer with the sword? Yes. Did Jesus have a sword? No. Did the conquistadors have slaves? Yes. Did Jesus have slaves? 
No. Did the, the conquistadors take over land and people and property? Yes. Did Jesus take over land, people, and property? No. So when they did that in the name of Jesus, they were bad Christians. Everybody get it? When you carry a sword, conquer people in the name of religion, bad Christian. Good Muslim. Why? Because you're like or not like your founder. How was Jesus' religion spread? How did he teach Peter to spread it? By the sword? No, by the gospel. How did the other religions spread? Many of them, not just Islam, and I could be here all day with Buddhism and the Chinese dynasty and Confucianism and communism and Hinduism and all of that. I know some of you think Hindus are just nice. They're, they're vegetarians. They don't hurt nobody. Mess with their religion and they'll, they'll kill you real quick. There's places in India right now that the Hindu extremists are still killing and messing with Christians till day, to this day. Uh, they're vegetarians, but they'll kill you. You mess with their God. Okay, so let's just keep it real for a minute here. What he's saying is you're not fighting here a physical battle. You're fighting a spiritual battle. And Paul's going to play on that in Ephesians 6 and say, we don't fight against flesh and blood. That's not really what we're about. We're about spirits and principalities and powers of the dark, dark places. And that's what we're fighting. So then he goes to Peter. He goes, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How many soldiers were in one Roman legion? 5,000. Take that, 12 by 5,000. That is 60,000 angels. What do you think they would have done to them people? What did two angels do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Lit that place up. What did one death angel do to the, the people of Egypt? My friends, if you want to know just what seven angels do, read about the judgments of God upon the earth in Revelation. Seven angels destroy the whole earth. Seven. Seven. Jesus said, I can send 60 here right now. He could have destroyed the entire universe. He could have evaporated this entire thing. But now watch again. Matthew's reminding us. Remember Matthew's recording here the words of Jesus from his perspective. From his perspective, he reminds us that, that Jesus said, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? What did the Jews think Jesus was going to do? Be a conquering king like David. And we're going to read Daniel 7 in just a moment when he says it to the leaders. But track with me here. They did not see Isaiah 53 as applying to the Messiah. He's going to suffer. He's going to be led like a sheep to slaughter. He's going to bear the sins of his people, yet he won't open his mouth. They didn't see Psalm chapter 22 as relating to the Messiah. They pierce my hands and my feet. They gamble for my clothes. They're like dogs beneath me barking. I've been betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and another prophet. They're not seeing those. They're only seeing a conqueror. But Jesus is telling them, I had to do this. Because if I came to conquer, I would be conquering the whole world. There would be no atonement of sin. There would be no forgiveness because all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were only but a type or a shadow. Remember, if I hold out my iPhone right now uh, over here, what would you rather have, my iPhone or the shadow of my iPhone? Would you, if I said I'm going to give you one or the other, my iPhone or that shadow, what would you want? Okay, if I had a million dollars, here, million dollars or shadow of the million dollars, what would you want? The real deal. So the sacrifice of Jesus is uh, the fulfillment of the shadows. All they had was the shadows, and now here comes the real. Jesus is now here. So if he didn't die on the cross, nobody's getting into heaven. No redemption. 
So he said, in that hour, or rather it says, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. That's his third time saying that in this passage. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Don't worry, boys. This is all God's plan. What did you say, Jesus? That's literally what they're doing. And in another gospel writer, it says, one, one soldier went to grab him as he ran, and he just took off his clothes, and he ran naked. <laughs> Seriously, because they would wear robe-type stuff, you know, togas. And so they got a hold of his clothes, and the guy's like, just keep it, you know, running. It says, one disciple ran naked. What's that you say, Jesus? This is all going to be from what the prophets say? They were gone. But Matthew was writing in here. He had this under control. He wasn't shocked by this. He tells them, this is why I came over and over and over again. And yet they didn't get it. And we ought to be patient with those who don't get it. Like, like he died on the cross and then I get forgiven? How does that work? You know, other religions teach people, you got to do good works to get to heaven. You know, don't I have to do something? You know, why did another man pay for my sin? That doesn't make any sense. I, I should pay for my own sin and get my own righteousness. How, how does someone way 2,000 years ago give me something I need? Uh, shouldn't I work through my own problems with God? And Jesus is saying, you can't. You can't be good enough. You're a broken hard drive. How are you going to fix yourself? You can't download the right software. You can't even turn on the computer. Your car has no gas. How are you going to drive and go get yourself something? Your plane has no wings. How are you going to fly and get there? We can't even start the good works because we're already broken from the inside. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin, to reset the human race. Now let's see how he acts in front of the Jewish leaders and see how they treat him. They then bring him before what's called the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish people. Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. He still doesn't really get what's going on. Maybe Jesus will do something. Uh, get out of this situation. The chief priests and the whole uh, Sanhedrin were there looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they could not find any though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. See, here's the deal. Jewish people were ruled by the Roman people. They just couldn't go around killing people willy-nilly. They could do it on the slick and hide it like the mafia would if they had some corrupt leaders to cover up for them. But Jesus was a big public figure. They couldn't get away with that. So they needed the Roman government to give them permission to kill him or for the Roman government to kill them for him, for them. So there was only really two ways they could come to the Roman government. If he claimed to be a god or if he claimed that he was going to take over the Roman Empire. So they're trying to find something that is seditious. Something that will make the Romans go, hey man, you can't do this here. See, the Romans didn't mind if you worshipped your god. They didn't care about that. But your god couldn't be greater than Caesar and the gods of Rome. Your god just had to be lesser gods. And it was okay if they ruled you and you had your kingdom because they let kings stay in their place. You could be a king but you couldn't be the king of kings or the Lord of lords, somebody over Caesars. Everybody get that? Jesus is about ready to explain who he really is and give the Jewish people the evidence they need, but they're misquoting him right here. Now watch the, the, the way the gospels are written. And I love this because put yourself in the day and times of the writings. John and Matthew are separated now. They probably don't, don't even know they're writing a gospel 
They're writing them at different parts of the world. There is no Facebook to update. Nobody knows. But Matthew says that they said this about Jesus. But if you go into the book of Matthew, do you ever remembering in the, remember reading in the book of Matthew where Jesus said, I'll destroy the temple of God? No. Where does that come from? That comes from a talk that John brought up. That's why I always tell you surround sound complements doesn't contradict. It's pieces of the puzzle. See, Jesus in one of his talks in John said, you guys like the temple? Destroy it, and in three days I'll rise it back up. And then it says he said this about his body because remember he talked like that all the time, just like he did with the bread and the wine. Here he was teaching them that the, the temple is really his body. He is God with man. They would go to the temple to meet with God, but he says, I'm really the temple now. God is with me, and I'm here. And when you crucify this body, you kill this body, in three days I'll rise it up. But then they took him out of context and said, oh, you're going to destroy this temple? That's seditious against our people, and Rome won't like you doing that. So look at verse 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. That comes back from Isaiah 53. As a sheep before its slaughter is silent, so will be the son of man, the servant here. But now watch, the, whole, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said so. No more beating around the bush. Now Jesus tells them exactly who he is. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. Let's read Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Why did that make them so upset? See, before he was calling himself the son of man, they were like, maybe he's just a son of man, dude. He's just a dude that came from another dude. He's a son of a man. But now it's clear what he means by son of man because he ties it directly to Daniel 7, the godlike figure who rules with the father. In my vision at night I looked. This is the same Daniel of the lion's den. And it says, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now remember, hundreds of years before Jesus, Daniel sees the ancient of days, the father, and then he sees somebody that looks like a man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence. Okay, that's cool. Let's keep going, though. He was given authority, glory. God doesn't share his glory with anyone else. Sovereign power. I thought God had all sovereign power. Now watch. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. How many gods could the Jewish people worship? One. How is it now one that looks like the Son of Man is being worshipped with the Ancient of Days? He must be God like the Ancient of Days, yet he's not the same person as the Ancient of Days. So there must be one God with multiple persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How does the book of Matthew end? Baptize them in the name, singular, one name, one God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was standing there before him, he says, boys, you're going to see me coming down on the clouds of heaven. And it also says that he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords in the Old Testament. And guess what Jesus has tattooed on his thigh as he's riding down on the horse, King of kings and Lord of lords. How many King of kings can there be, my friends? How many Lord of lords can there be? And this is why the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, all these cults who try to take Jesus out of the equality with the Father are wrong. 
Jesus is equal with the Father. He bears the name, the King of kings, like the Father, Lord of lords. He gets worship like the Father. Muhammad will worship the Father before he goes, uh, worship Jesus before he goes to hell. All people will worship him, and then they'll be cast out, those who haven't loved him on this, on this earth, right? And it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. If you go back to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus didn't have to quote the whole thing and say the verses found here, guys. All he had to do is say, I tell you, you will see the Son of Man. And he goes on from there. They go, I know what he's talking about now. We got what we need. He's now blasphemed our God and now we can show he's seditious to the Romans. He believes he's a king with an everlasting kingdom. Now do you understand why they mock him on the cross? They put above his cross, king of the Jews. Like, here's your king. This is what you think. You know, this is what he thought about himself. This is what we do to your kings. We put them up here like dogs to die. That's what Rome thought they were doing, right? But then we find out at the end what, who, what really was going on. So let's follow the story. So the priest, you know, he tears his clothes. This is blasphemy. Is it blasphemy to call yourself the son of God when you are the son of God? Is it blasphemy to say I'm the one in Daniel 7 when you're really the one of Daniel 7? No. It's blasphemy when all these other people do it now in our culture, these false Christs that the Bible said would come. But when Jesus said it, no blasphemy was true. He said, look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face, struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And now Jesus is going to begin to get tortured, and we know how that goes. Verse 69, coming to the closing. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I swear on my mama, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're from that area. We know you've been with him. Then he began to call down curses, blankety blank, blank, blank. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. We're going to get to the point where Judas kills himself. And we're going to get to the point where Peter gets restored. But I want to leave you hanging with this because we leave with betrayals. Why do we leave this chapter with betrayals? It's because Peter and Judas wanted Jesus to do things their way. Judas wanted it for power. I want to rule with Christ, and we want to start ruling now. Look, punch him, see what he does, then he'll zap you. And when he saw that didn't work, he kills himself. Peter's like, I'll start fighting for you right now because I'm scared to watch you die. You're all I have in this life. I've left my family for you, for you, and I don't want to see anything happen to you. And then he denies him once he sees death is coming. So whether it's out of fear or out of power, if these two disciples could deny Christ, we can deny Christ if we don't guard our heart. Did not Jesus teach them and us how to avoid denying him? He said, pray. For temptation is coming upon you. The spirit is weak, uh, the, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So do, do I have to walk around afraid like, man, will I deny Christ if we get persecuted in this nation? Or, or what if something happens? You know, what, you know, will I deny? We don't have to walk around afraid like that. But what we should do is walk around in prayer saying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. 
but deliver me from evil. Now, we know this is Friday. And as the old preachers used to say, Friday is dark, but Sunday is coming with light. Amen? We're going to make it through the weekend. All that happened on Friday is going to be made right on Sunday. And so we don't have to leave here being sad. We know how the story ends. Peter does get restored. The church gets established. And Jesus Christ raises from the dead, ascends to heaven. And so what I want us to do over these next couple of weeks, as people are thinking about his birth, I want you to think about his death and resurrection, more Easter type stuff, so that you can know why he was born. So that when people are talking to you like, Merry Christmas, and what are you doing for Christmas? You could say, I'm getting ready to meet Jesus. I'm spreading the gospel. I'm telling my family about Jesus. I know why he came. You can spread the gospel during this season and start bringing your friends to church because it wasn't for the purpose for him to stay as a baby. It was for him to go on the cross, to die for our sins, and come back and rule and reign. Amen? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus and his word. 75 verses. You guys are awesome. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? This is an amazing time to be a part of this church. The question now you and I have to answer is, will we be faithful to Jesus even unto death? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that our hearts will be like the woman who gave you the most precious things that she had, the most precious thing. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, would you do that right now? Just simply say, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my heart, change me. And those of you who are here and you've been Christians before and maybe you're not living like the way you should and you've kind of betrayed God or at least betrayed his, his commands, you've not done the right things, would you right now ask the Lord to forgive you? He's still calling you friend. He has not given you his final judgment yet. You still can be forgiven. If God can forgive Peter, he can forgive you. And then lastly, all of us here today, would you guard your heart with me in prayer as the band sings the song, and then we'll dismiss after that. But as we worship again, in your heart, as I check my heart, man, I took this really serious in the first service, and I'm going to do it again here. As you go to your knees or to the altar or just in prayer in your heart, would you make sure you ask God to show you where you're weak in your flesh so that you don't get tempted to do those things and betray God and to give in to that flesh. Would you pray, just like how Jesus asked his disciples, pray for an hour with me. Saints, would you pray for me for the rest of this hour till one o'clock or close to it so that you can be close to God and not let the flesh conquer you? We'll dismiss in just a moment. Come on up if you want someone to pray with you. Otherwise, feel free to pray where you're at.